we had a, it's been a while back that uh, some of us had a, a conversation about sanctification um, and when it happens or is it happening or uh, some, some uh, look at it as being a, a one-time effect and then others look at it as being an ongoing effect. Um, and on Wednesday nights, uh, we've kind of been coming through sanctification. Sunday mornings with Joey going through Romans, it's very much about uh, sanctification. Um, and we're going to be getting more into sanctification uh, on Wednesday nights as well. But I just kind of wanted to try and explain sanctification as much as possible. Um, there is a lot of mystery in it, um, but I'm just going to try my best to show you the scriptures and what the scriptures mean here. And uh, I think it is both a then and now type scenario. Um, a lot of times when we think of sanctification, it's in that frame of, all right, we're justified before God and we're going through sanctification now and then we will be glorified. And that is very much uh, accurate, but it's also, I think, a little bit of an oversimplification of sanctification. Um, absolutely, we are being sanctified. We are to be holy. God, the Holy Spirit is... Uh, conforming us into the image of His Son, and that is sanctification as well. But I want to go back and talk about something that's not as normally talked about um, because it gets kind of meshed in with justification. But sanctification was a once and for all deal uh, with Jesus Christ as well for us. So uh, we're going to look at in Hebrews there. I'm not going to talk about every one of those verses because we definitely don't have time's sake. Uh, this morning to do that, but um, just go back to verse 1, and we'll look at um, verses 1 through 4 right now. It says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered, because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year, after, year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to pass or to take away sins. So we got to think about where we're at uh, with these Hebrews and the Jewish culture and the Jewish people. They are so used to year by year having their priests enter to the Holy of Holies and to offer sacrifice and worship before God. And they continually did this year after year because of their sins. And their, their sin, they still had the guilt of their sins placed on them every year. Therefore, they had to have sacrifices to take away the guilt of the sins for that year. Now, I know we think about that as more like a history lesson, but that was the life of those people. They were to travel, take their sacrifices or buy their sacrifices once they got there and have those offered every single year. That was how their religion worked. That's how it worked. And that was the sacrificial system that God had set up. But as it says here, it was but a shadow. It wasn't the actual 
deal of taking away the sins. It was just kind of a, uh, kind of a foreshadowing, you could say, that there was coming a once and for all sacrifice that will take away the sins of the world forever. And so I kind of had to, verse 1 was a lot of prepositional phrases and stuff in there, so I had to really narrow it down to what is it actually saying. And so if you just boil it down to the, to the main part of that verse, it simply says, for the law can never make those who approach perfect. And now you've got to think about this. Not even you or I could have walked into the Holy of Holies and made our sacrifices. So here we're talking about the, the priest that can only enter on one day a year, the Day of Atonement, and make these sacrifices for their sins. And it says it can't even, those people who had to do all this other ritualistic um, cleansing before they could go into the Holy of Holies, it says it could not even make them perfect. It cannot take away the sins of these people that have already went through so much of the spiritual um, cleansing and then to make the offering for the people. It can never take away their sins. So it's the sh just a shadow or a representative of the real thing. So looking at verse 2, it says, Otherwise, would they have not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers having once been cleansed, would no longer have conscience of their sins. Think about that. Once you do it one time, they should have been done, right? If their sins had actually been taken away, you're good. You don't have to worry about your sins any longer. So you would not be coming back year after year. He says, so you know, like logically thinking, they would have known this doesn't take away our sins. It does not take them away. It does not do away with them. Um, forever. So it was a continual. We see that in verse 3 as well, that it is, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. So every year, it was like how we should be every day, especially every Sunday. And normally now, it seems like in the church, we only do it uh, whenever we partake of the Lord's Supper. When we say, you need to really think about where you're at in a relationship with God. You need to really confess your sins and you know, get right with God before we do this. But they did it every year during this time. And they were to be reminded of their sins every year during this time. And then verse 4, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and the goats to take away sins. It's not possible. It never was meant to be the, the end of all Sin, it was always going to be through the blood of Christ. And if we look in verse 5, um, 5, 6, and 7, um, this comes from Psalms 40, uh, but it says, Therefore, uh, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come, and the scroll of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. And this is essentially summing up the new covenant. Okay? The new covenant is no longer a sacrificial system. It is a covenant of faith and obedience to God. And it is to do the will of God. And so if you will, go ahead and turn back to Psalms 40. It's a fairly long 
uh, psalm, but I want us to uh, look at it. We've actually went over it uh, on Sunday nights. Um, but the whole thing is a very good picture of Christ and His work. I'm hoping being a, an hour earlier, so y'all think it's only 10.30, y'all shouldn't be getting hungry yet, so I'm hoping I can get a little bit of extra time here before y'all start getting grumbly and moving around a lot. So, Psalms 40 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to, to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction and out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust, and he has not turned to the proud nor to those who laugh in falsehood. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which you have done, and your thoughts towards us. There is none to compare with you. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to count. Sacrifice and meal offerings you have not desired. My ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. O Lord, you know, I have not hidden your righteousness within I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. Let those be ashamed and humiliated together who seek my life to destroy it. Let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their, of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be reminded of me. You are my help, my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. There's a, a great um, psalm there to see how it's in doing the will of God is where God is delighted. It's not in the, um, the sacrificial system. Uh, he, didn't, he does not have delight in that. He, he is delighted in crushing His Son for our sins once and for all. And therefore, He is just like Christ went willingly, obediently to the cross. He is delighted in the sons 
obedience and faithfulness to do His will, and He's also delighted in our faithfulness and obedience to do His will. Verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 10 says, After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. And he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. So, Christ comes and fulfills that sacrificial system. All those sacrifices, year in and year out, for all the people of Israel, all the, the Hebrew people, was not enough to take away the sins of the world. It wasn't enough to take away the guilt and the shame that they had done. But it is through the body of Christ, His blood, that is and was and forever will be the forgiveness of our sins. To do away with completely, once and for all, never to have to think about them ever again. And notice that he says that, you know, the sacrificial system was a good thing. I mean, that's how God set it to do because it was pointing to a much greater thing. What we normally, you'll hear it referred to as the, the anti-type. So, all the shadows and the foreshadowing are nothing compared to the real thing. And here, it's so obvious to these people that if you're telling them that they will no longer have to go to the Jerusalem, go to the priest, carry their offering, carrying their sacrifice to him, and be able to once and for all finally have forgiveness of sin, you're talking about completely life-changing. Because they've done this their entire lives. And now you're telling me that we're good before God just based on this one man's sacrifice. That's a little bit us. We're like, yeah, that, of course. But to them, you're talking about doing something for your whole life and then all of a sudden, at a flip of a switch, literally, you no longer have to do it anymore and it's pretty much was useless this whole time compared to Christ. So it's much different for them. But I also want you to think about in relationship to yourself and your own sin, you're completely helpless. Just like those sacrifices, every year they knew they were going to have to be reminded of them again and have a, a sacrifice to cover those sins. There's nothing you can do to do away with your sins. Absolutely nothing. He says, yeah, the sacrificial system, it was good. It was a part of the law. But you couldn't do anything to take away your sins. And none of us today can either. It's only by the blood and the body of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ. And a lot of things I was reading, you know, was talking about this is why Jesus had to come as a man. God couldn't just snap his fingers and it be done. He had to come. The blood had to be spilt. The body had to be broken. And if you think back you know, to Genesis, and when Adam and Eve first sinned, God covered them. They tried to cover themselves with, with fig leaves or leaves, but God covered them with skin. And the only way to do that is for blood to be spilt. So God, to cover themselves, 
had to use some form of sacrifice, some type of, I would, in my, what we, sanctified imagination, I have to think that it had to be a lamb, you know, just to foreshadow Christ coming, you know, later on. But he had to use the blood of Christ. The body had to be broken. And verse 10 is one of the verses I really wanted to spend time on this morning. It says, By this will, the will of the Father, Christ doing the will of the Father, we have been sanctified. How? Well, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. Now, to get nerdy on you a little bit, this is in the um, perfected tense. So it's happened, it's once and done forever. Like it never is to be done again. It's happened, it's over with. So just like these people, they think, okay, I have to keep going back and back and forth, back and forth, back and forth for the sacrificial system. This is not that type of sacrifice. This is a once and done. Our sanctification, just like we've talked about our salvation, our justification, how it happens before the foundation of the earth, as Ephesians tells us. It also happened in time and place with Christ, and it happens when uh, the Holy Spirit uh, comes to dwell within us. So it's kind of, you know, it's a little bit, justification is a little bit hard to pinpoint on when it actually happens to but sanctification, when we always think about it as, oh, it's once we've been justified before God and we're trying to live you know, according to His will, that's sanctification. No, apparently it says right here, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. It happened once. It was done at the cross, our sanctification. So let's talk about what it may be talking about here. Sanctification is the setting apart. You know, we are, uh, you think about saints. They are, you know, we have a lot of different ideas about saints, but we would think of those as people that are set apart, you know, for they are consecrated to God to do His work and His will. That's what happened at the cross for us as well. We were sanctified. We were set apart to simply do the will of God. Once and for all, at one time. Now, and it says for all time. So we never have to worry about that again. We are God's. We are His, and it is for us to do His will. That's all our life is to be about. We are to be about the kingdom of God, and that's it. And it's, I know how easy it is to get blindsided and distracted by other things in this life. But Christ's blood was spilt for God to sanctify us and set us apart to do His will. And that happened once and for all at the cross. So, even though the sacrificial system could not give the people a clean heart and could not cause them to live in obedience to God, Christ did just that. It was through the blood, through the sacrifice, through the obedience of God's will that we are now made His own. And if we are His own, then we should do His will because we are solely His and His alone. Now, like I said, there's kind of two different uh, aspects of sanctification. So what we would call that is positional sanctification. We are in Christ. 
and we are sanctified because of His death and His blood being spilled. So positionally, before God, we are set apart, we are His, to be used however He sees fit. That's what it means to be sanctified, is that we are simply the pottery at the hands of the potter to do whatever He desires, to be faithful and obedient to everything that He commands. So that's positional sanctification. That's where we are set apart at that point in time. And that was at the sacrifice of Christ, the cross of Christ. Now as we continue reading though, I think we're going to see a glimpse of sanctification and what we normally think of as becoming more like Christ. Look at verse 11. It says, Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time onward until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Now, um, some translations, and I hope your translation says... uh, more of a being sanctified. I, I, I think most of the ESV actually says this, that you're being sanctified. And about half the commentators will say, no, this is the same type of sanctification talked about in verse uh, 10. And some say, no, this is the ongoing perfection. This is the ongoing you becoming holy type sanctification. And the way they say this is, they're saying that those that are becoming sanctified, those that are coming into salvation, believing in Christ, those are the ones that are being set apart at that time. But I think if we continue reading, uh, you're going to see that this is more of becoming holy, becoming like Christ. So those who are being sanctified. If you keep reading, just notice it says in verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. Well, how does He testify to us? He Convince us of sin, right? And he says, This is the covenant which I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws upon their hearts and write them on their mind. So you're telling me that the Holy Spirit's going to do that and cause me to be more like Christ. So they didn't have this. This is part of the new covenant. This is found in Jeremiah 31. He he then says in verse 17, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will no longer remember. I think that's amazing because if you go back to the sacrificial system, the people were reminded every year. God required a sacrifice every year because of their sins. But now, because of Christ, God says, I no longer remember them. They're done away with forever. You no longer have to come before me and offer a sacrifice. If you had to do that, then Christ would have to die over and over and over and over again to take away our sins. But we know that Christ's sacrifice was enough. It was a once and for all. And it does have a lasting effect on us, and that's the sanctification uh, that we're talking about here. Verse 18 says, Now where there is forgiveness of these things and offering for sin is no longer required. Kind of sums it up there. So 
I want to uh, kind of start landing the plane here and just kind of point out three different uh, things that we have as the acts of Christ on our sanctification, as his, um, the sacrifice of Christ done for our sanctification. I know, like I said, we normally don't think about sanctification as you know, Christ being crucified and that type of stuff. We think of that as the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and stuff. But clearly in these verses, we have to say that it happened at the point of the, the crucifixion of Christ. And so remember once again that the sins of the people were always reminded of that, and we no longer have that. We can be assured that before God, God does not remember any of our transgressions. Because he looks at his work of the Christ being obedient and the work of his son as being sufficient to take away the sins of the world. And so our sins are no longer in the sight of God, no longer in his mind. And once again, if you think about how the priests were the ones that went in to offer sacrifices and to worship God, we no longer have to have that. Now that we have the Holy Spirit within us, we can be in a right relationship with God, in a relationship that will allow us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Each person individually. We can do that not having to come with sacrifices. We can do that on a daily basis. And then we have the fulfillment of the promise of the new covenant. That God would write His laws on our heart. So we get to experience the fulfillment of that promise, being brought into a perfect relationship with God in the, in the sense that we can now worship Him for who He truly is. And not only can we worship Him for who He truly is, we can live a life that's pleasing to Him by being faithful and obedient to His will. That is what we were set apart to do by the death of Christ. Now, hopefully to, um, I think this will help um, justify my belief, I guess, in the, the ongoing sanctification process. So we got positional sanctification of Christ that takes away the sins, sets us apart to God. That's positional sanctification where it's, it's done. That can never change. Our position in Christ and the sanctification before God will never change. But our progression in sanctification, in becoming holy, becoming more like Christ, can change as we live according to His will and obedient to Him. So that, I think, is summed up a little bit in verse 19. Uh, and we're just going to read through this um, a little bit. Uh, verse 19 of chapter 10 says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, there again, we can worship Him, we can be in a right relationship with God, by a new and living way, which He inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, that's, of course, absolutely Jesus Christ, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, 
not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That is not easy to do. And that's the reason why we have to have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to allow us to love one another and do good deeds and progressively become like Christ. And the scary part is found in verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. So, once again, it's not a free pass. Our, sancti- our positional sanctification is not a free pass to, oh, if God's going to forgive our sins and not remember them anymore, then we're good. We can do whatever we want to. No. Romans, Paul says, absolutely not. That is not the case. But because we do have this progressive sanctification throughout this life of how God, by the Holy Spirit, is making us more like His Son and causing us to conform into the image of His Son. So this morning, I really just want to um, try and lay out those two things where we can kind of think of those in two different ways, but also to think about what this life is about once we come to Christ. It's not just a simple come in here on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, do the best we can. No, we're to be conformed to the image of the very one that done the will of God by going to the cross for our sins. And that will take a lifetime. We'll never reach that. But just like it was the will of God that Jesus go to the cross, it's the will of the Father for us to become like His Son, to become completely obedient to His will and to do nothing but His will. Let's pray.